Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. Alrighty, thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Speaking of Tucker Milling, folks, we are getting geared up to do a little mini tour this spring, and our first event is going to be this coming Saturday, April 10th, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. noon at Fort Payne Feed and Seed in Fort Payne, Alabama. So we're looking forward to that event. That'll be this will be kicking off uh, our first event in over a year. We did not tour not a single time last year because of the pandemic, and now we've decided to open it up for uh, what I'm calling it anyway, a mini tour. Um, which will take place this spring. We'll have two events in April, two events in May, and two events in June. And I'll be sharing those with you every week um, as uh, we do these podcasts to let you know where we're going to be, and mainly in the southeast right now. Um, I know I'll be in, uh, of course, Fort Payne, Alabama. Uh, I think on May 1st, Saturday, May 1st, I'll be in Troy, Alabama, uh, the 24th of April. Here in a couple of weeks, I'll be over in um taylor's south carolina i believe it is and we're looking at another event in maybe guntersville alabama and maybe one in lower alabama i'll be going to la uh lower alabama near mobile i believe possibly in june and we may end up having one up in uh knoxville tennessee so in the southeast but i'll i'll keep you uh, abreast of that situation and all the tour dates and when we're going to be and what we're going to be but it's basically uh, like we've done for the last uh, 12 years of touring the country 37 states and uh really uh, thousands of folks uh that we've um had the opportunity to meet and um and educate about keeping backyard poultry and so uh, where I'm really anxious to get started back with this tour this year. Uh, we may do a few in the fall. If we don't do any in the fall, then we'll just be really getting geared up all fall for a really uh, major tour next spring. Uh, again, most likely in the southeast, uh, the uh, kind of the nine, seven to nine southeastern states um, that Tucker Milling feed uh, services. So we'll be uh, looking at that next spring. But hopefully we'll do a few in the fall. Uh, it's, all, it's always we've always had a great tour in in the fall months in the past, so we're looking forward to it. But there's going to be prizes, there's going to be trivia, there's going to be giveaways, there's going to be a lot of education. I mean, it's like an hour and 45 minutes of pure, I mean, really in-your-face education about getting started with backyard poultry. We cover everything from um, <clears throat> breeds to coops to runs to predators to nutrition. Um, uh, we don't really do much with incubation much anymore, but we do focus a lot on brooding and the importance of that. But I just said we also focus on predators in these uh, tour classes and workshops that we do. And what a great segue to today's show, Predator Concerns and Your Flock, with our good friend, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice uh, Pateski. 
out at UC Davis. And uh, as always, I'll uh, uh, share my two cents worth with this topic. We'll go to commercial break so you can get that pen and paper ready to take tons of notes. When we come back after the commercial break, I'll welcome um, Maurice to the uh, show, and he'll give us uh, his outline about predator concerns in your flock. Whenever I hear this, whenever I'm talking about this in our, in our workshops and things, um, you know, the first thing that comes into my mind are all of the posts every single day. I, it's, it's not just every week or every month. It's every single day, these posts that pop up in the, uh, say, the Facebook uh, chicken groups, uh, on the blogs, um, and, and over all of social media, where a chicken owner, new or old, it's across the board, um, will we'll actually post, oh, I'm devastated, I'm so sad, I lost my favorite chicken last night, or I lost my entire flock of chickens last night due to a predator. Um, and uh, oftentimes that's followed up with, does anybody have any chickens for sale? Does anybody have any uh, chickens available that I can buy? Does anybody have any chickens that they want to give away? And, you know, I'll be honest, my first response when I type back to that question is, um, absolutely not. <laughs> you just <laughs> you just lost all years to a predator. I don't want to have mine end up being uh, having uh, you know end up being the same as the ones you just lost. Uh, let me give me some type of concern uh, and and uh, that you've taken care of the problem, and then maybe we'll talk about getting you some more chickens, at least from my stock of chickens. So that's the first thing that comes to mind is that I just lost all my entire flock to a predator. Who has some that they want to sell or give away? Yeah, it's not going to be me um, unless you can prove that you fixed the problem. So that, that comes up, number one. Number two is kind of the pattern that we see uh, on the blogs and the forums and the groups where they talk about predators. And, and the pattern that I've seen over the years, because I've been teaching this for 12 years, uh, all about predators, trying to get folks to, hey, take this topic seriously, whether you live in a subdivision in the city or you live out in the country and have 100 acres. You know, this, uh, this kind of ranks up there number one whenever I do uh, interviews for media, number one and number two, uh, predator proof. Um, and that is they'll, they'll say – they'll show a picture of, of, of a dead chicken. Uh, wh what do you think caused this? Or what predator would just leave the head? Or what predator would just eat the breast meat? Or what predator would just, you know, make everything disappear except feathers? Or what predator would this – and then – Let's say it is narrowed down, or maybe they have it on trail cam that it's, say, a raccoon uh, or a possum or a fox, and they're like they, – they focus so much on that predator and how to eliminate it. Well, uh, I think it's a raccoon. Uh, trail cam showed it was a raccoon, so uh, can, can, can I dispatch the raccoon myself? And if I dispatch it or kill it, well, what do I do with the, with the body? Uh, can, can, can I rehome it? I'll just put it in a uh, – I'll trap it, and then I'll drive it two miles down the road and, and let it go and let it be somebody else's problem. Um, can, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? They get so focused on the predator, and for some reason they just ignore uh, how that predator access your run and coop. Let's fix that problem first, which actually should have been fixed initially when you got the chickens, not now that you've lost your entire flock. Um, and then it won't matter if it was a fox or a raccoon or a possum or a dog or a, a coyote because you've done what you needed to do to your running coop so they can't access your chickens to begin with. So then it won't matter. You won't be sitting up at night losing sleep, sitting on the back porch with a twenty two or a shotgun, waiting for the pre predator to come back. Uh, what a waste of time. Uh, your time's valuable, right? You're just going to sit out there every single night and be stressed and can't sleep because of it. Make your coop and run predator proof, and you're done. Doesn't matter how many other possums are out there, other than that, maybe that one you dispatched or that one you did the save a heart trap and, 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 and took it away and now it's someone else's problem. None of that matters. Because if you take care of that one raccoon, guess what? There's 19 others out there. If you take care of that one fox, there's three others out there. If you take care of that one coyote, there's 50 others out there. You know, so you're just gonna, it's just going to be an ongoing thing, losing sleep, sitting on the back porch. Predator-proof your coop and run, and it won't matter how many raccoons are out there. It won't matter how many foxes, how many coyotes, how many dogs, how many neighbor's dogs. It doesn't matter. You can sleep at night. You don't have to sit on the porch with a 22. 
predator-proof your coop and runs as you should to begin with, and you won't have the predator problems later on. There is an asterisk that goes along with this. I would say you'd be able to, if you do it correctly, discourage and prevent most all predators, except for maybe a black bear or a grizzly bear, especially a grizzly bear. You know, uh, if you live in an area where there are grizzly bears, all I can say is good luck to you. Because we know, we see footage from DNR where grizzly bears have literally ripped off and ripped open a door off a one-ton pickup truck to get a bag of chips laying in the floorboard. So if you got grizzly bears, uh, black bears possibly, good luck to you. But any other predator, you name it, um, you should be able to, within reason, make that run and coop predator-proof by doing some things that we're going to share with you today with Dr. Potesky and myself. Um, and another thing over the years, I've kind of gotten tired of here. Oh, I've, I've lived here for 12 years. I've never seen a possum in my backyard. I've lived for 12 years. I've, I've never seen a coyote. I've lived here for 12 years. I've never seen a uh, raccoon um, or a possum or a fox or a coyote or none of that. Uh, so I don't, I don't really have to predator proof anything because I've never seen those things in my backyard until about six days after you build your coop and you have chickens in there. Then guess what? Here they come. But I live in the city. <laughs> um, we live out in the country now. We have 13 acres. And I tell you right now, I saw more possums living in a subdivision in North Atlanta than I have ever on this 13 acres living here on the homestead out in the country. Um, so just, just things to ponder about we'll talk about during the show. I'm going to go to commercial break, um, get that pen and paper out, take lots of notes. We're going to share with you many ideas of how to predator-proof your run and your coop because we don't want you to be every single day posting about losing your favorite Henrietta hen, um, and, and um, we, we just don't want that to happen, and it happens way too often. You go out there and look. There's so many every single day. I lost this, I lost that, I lost that, predator track this, predator track that, and it doesn't have to happen. And and I'll tell you this real quick before we go to break. The reason why is because at the end of the day, and we've been talking about this on on these podcasts for 12 years, at the end of the day, no matter how we put our heads together and try to think up, you know, why is this happening? At the end of the day, it comes down to two things, okay? If you want to know why you lost those chickens uh, in, in your coop last night, look in the mirror. (laughs) <laughs> That's the only person you can blame. If it's me, I'm looking in the mirror. Guess what, Andy? It's your fault, period. That The blame stops there. And in most cases, in most cases, I would say probably all cases, because we've tried to figure out why this happened so much. At the end of the day, putting our heads together for 12 years is two things. One is you didn't do the research to figure out how to properly predator-proof your coop and run. Or if you did that, number two you chose not to spend the money necessary to properly um, predator-proof your coop and run. Now that I've offended everybody and everybody's mad at me, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. It, that we, 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 you tell me another reason why. You either didn't do the research or you weren't willing to spend the money. And yes, it costs more money to have a predator-proof coop and run because I'll give you an example. Um, instead of going out and buying the cheap chicken wire, guess what? You're going to have to fork out the big bucks and, and pay more for um, the uh, welded wire hardware cloth, the, the small hardware cloth. So that's going to cost you more. You know what? That run, if you just have a fence run, instead of just setting that four-foot fence or five-foot fence on the top of the ground and then put it and connecting it to the fence stakes, you may have to rent a ditch witch now and dig that ditch about 18 inches deep to then buy a taller fence instead of that four-foot fence you bought. Guess what you have to spend now? Spend more money to buy that five-foot fence so you can bury it with the ditch, which you just rented, costing you more money, 12 inches deep into the ground to prevent those digging predators from getting under the run. So it's all about money now. So we can, we can help you do the predator-proof coop and the run, but it's going to cost you money. So number one, research. Number two, money. Those are the two things at the end of the day why people lose their flock every uh, all the time. And we're going to help you with that today. Uh, when we come back from this commercial break. So stay with us, get that pen and paper, and we'll see you on the other end of the break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. 
Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. Take back control and say no to nasty odors. Chickens across the country are flocking to Grubbits. These natural, oven-dried, black soldier fly larvae are sustainably raised right here in the USA. Grubbits account for 10 to 15% of a normal diet and are available at almost half the price of some competing brands. More calcium, stronger eggshells, healthier feathers, happier hens. Find Grubbits online at grubbits.com, on social media at Grubbits, or on Amazon, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S. That's Grubbits, the feed chickens need. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today. Hopefully you got that pen and paper ready to take lots of notes about predator concerns and your flock. Uh, and again, um, I was thinking about this during the break. Nine times out of ten, and, and if you're on those chicken blogs and forums, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's no surprise to you. But you know, nine times out of ten, you know they're like the, the predator ended up being something like – uh, a neighbor's dog or um, a raccoon or a fox or a possum or something very manageable, something that, you know, we're not talking, like I said earlier, about a grizzly bear that's out west or even a big hungry black bear. We're talking about just a raccoon. There, um, folks, there's no reason why you should be losing chickens to a silly raccoon. There's just absolutely not. Um, before I forget to um, remind me, um, Doc, to talk a little bit about um, the automatic coop doors as well. Um, because that, that often comes up with, hey, I'd like to get this automatic coop door. Does anybody have them? What, which one do you recommend? Um, pros and cons, different things like that. And uh, I, I've, I've tested several over the years. I do not choose to use any and never have for my coops or my flocks. I know they can absolutely come in handy, um, and I don't really have anything against them as long as you go into it knowing that for whatever reason um, – it, 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 then it can cost you your entire flock that, that very night. That's the only issue. I know it can be very handy. You want to sleep late or you're getting home late and you want it to open or close or whatever. You know, it's raining out, whatever the case may be. Just if you go, to, go into it knowing that, you know, that one time that it does fail and it stays open, uh, or maybe it actually closes after the predator has, predator has entered into the coop. Uh, depending on your setup, you know, you may say, well, you know, it, I got a coop door, but it just lets them access to the run. Uh, then you know they don't have access to also the predator would have to get into the run and then they have to get into the into the coop door things like that. I, going into it, I just have to say that just know that if it fails for whatever reason, um, that that could the, the results could be a completely uh, devastated flock. So um, thank you for joining us, Maurice. We appreciate it today, um, and we're looking for all that you have to talk to us and teach us about about predator concerns in our flock. Great. Thanks for being here, Andy. Good to good to hear your voice again. Absolutely. Ready to get back to it. And um, you know, predator. It's just one of those things. It's I guess because it's not cool and exciting, and it, it really involves hard work. You know, at the end of the day, that's probably why it's overlooked a lot. Is well, I've never seen a predator. Or then when they research what all has to go into predator, making it predator proof, they think, wow, that's a lot of hard work. That's going to cost me a lot of money. I'll just I'll just take my chances with it and see what happens. And then of course we know the outcome of that. Um, 
And uh, that's, that, you know, honestly, I mean, I would love to hear any feedback that you have, but all the experts we've ever had, we, and, and we've put our heads together saying, why is this happening so much? And at the end of the day, it's didn't do the research or did the research and wasn't willing to back it up with the money spent uh, to, to make, to implement the research that they did. And I can't think of any other reason. I mean, yeah, I get it. Sometimes nothing's perfect. And sometimes you may have that predator attack, but we're not talking about that. If you go to these, as you know, these forums and these groups on Facebook, it is a multi daily occurrence and it just should not be happening. So it's not just this freak. Oops. It happens sometimes it is rampant and it's unfortunate. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. You're uh, reminding me one of my favorite sayings where absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So just because you don't see uh, a raptor or a raccoon um, does not mean that they're not lurking around, obviously around. And, and their sleeping patterns are obviously a lot different than ours. So um, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it's a huge problem. So, so we've done some surveys among some of the commercial pastured poultry kind of operations throughout the U.S., and that um, has been flagged as the number one cause of mortality in um, pastured and free-range birds, Mm -hmm. and there's more similarities than differences in in pastured and free-range birds um, with backyard birds, Mm -hmm. Um, so it's definitely a a big issue, Um, so it's interesting that you you mentioned that doesn't get a lot of attention, because I I feel like it's... uh, Definitely a definitely a high priority for um, kind of the pastured poultry and, and, and those type of producers. Um, just yeah, very right. briefly, I did want to mention uh, when you're talking about the automatic doors, completely agree. I actually like the automatic doors a lot. I think they're very clever. Um, mm-hmm. They work well. They're very consistent, but uh, there's always a but, unfortunately. Um, but if you don't have, you know, a good pair of eyeballs out there, um, disaster will happen. You know, it's kind of Murphy's law. You're, you're going to check, you know, 99 out of 100 days just to make sure that the birds went in before the automatic door right. closed. And that yep. one day you don't check, that's, of course, when the <laughs> birds are, are – there's a one, you know, straggler that's uh, pushed the envelope a little too far and, and, and got on the wrong side of the door, and, and then they're stuck there until the morning. So automatic doors are great. I understand why people um, are, are, are using them and use them. Um, makes all the sense in the world, but, but don't – it eliminates, you know, 95% of the work. You don't have to open the door anymore. You don't have to close mm-hmm. the door anymore. But uh, you still got to get out there and just eyeball things just to make sure everything is fine. Um, things yeah, get stuck in perfect. doors. All those kind of things happen. It's just, that's just life. So it's, I tell, yeah. Uh, yeah. I tell folks, I'm like, if, if you don't trust that door enough to where you're <laughs> still walking out there to make sure it closed, just – Close the coop and then walk back in. If just <laughs> so, yeah, they, they may have a setup where they can't quite see that door, and so, or maybe it's you know whatever that scenario that is. So if you like, if you still don't trust it enough, and you still walk, let me walk out there to make sure my coop door closed. Yep, it sure did. Well, then you know, hey, you walked out there, you can you can shut it. But I, like I said earlier, I don't have anything against them as long as people go into it with the right mindset that. If it happens to fail, it could, the results could be disastrous. So uh, that's that's great, and we've tested yep. a lot. There's a lot of good ones out there um, that people can choose from. Yep. No, I, I, I we've used a couple on our campus flock, and uh, they've worked great. We've we've had a lot of success with them. The the one thing I would tell people, I, I've had people tell me, well, we got a camera, and we the camera <laughs> we can then use inside. So it's almost like do you know what a Rube Goldberg machine is. It's uh, one of these machines that you, you, you know, it's, it's like kids have to kind of create. It's like part of like a fourth grade science project or something where to do something very, very simple, they create a very complex, like uh, a chain reaction of, you know, the, the pinball uh, hitting, you know, dominoes, which eventually like opens, you know, some small door or pours a cup of water or something like that. So I feel like get the automatic door and then just go out there and just check, right? That, that, that's easy mm-hmm. enough. You don't have to add a gazillion other things that, that, that God forbid, prevents you from going outside, you know, unless you're, you're handicapped or something like that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, the doors are great, but just, just uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you just got to verify that uh, mm-hmm. everything's working correctly because disaster will hit you and predators are, predators are vicious. Like, it's, it's pretty um, – that's um, – always my whenever we have a campus flock that's always my worst nightmare is that um you know we have birds that we raise outdoors the ones indoors i sleep a little safer because i just know their disaster would have to happen for for something <laughs> to happen there 
Mm-hmm. But the outdoor ones, you know, I, I, I stress definitely more about because there's just so much potential for so many quirky things to happen. And, and a raccoon or a fox, um, you know, even hardware cloth, if they're, there's always ways that they can kind of finagle their ways in there. And, and mm-hmm. raccoons are brutal. I mean, you'll, you'll, they'll, yeah. they'll actually go and kill, kill a whole flock and just eat one bird just, just mm-hmm. because, just because they're eating. <laughs> And they've got that thumb. They've got that thumb. I've, I've had them take uh, my, my dad. My dad would have uh, like fish food for a koi pond inside a mayonnaise jar that screw screw on lid, and it didn't take them no time to figure out that. But like, like yeah, the locks or the different uh, carabiners, different things that you can have. They have that magical thumb mm-hmm. that allows them access yeah. to so many other things. And I'll say this far, I forget like the free range issue. Uh, I'll I'll talk about. Some talk about losing, you know, two or three chickens to a predator, and I'm like, well, how, please share how they got into your run or your coop. And like, oh, we free range, and they're upset, you know. I, and I get it; they're upset because they lost three or four chickens, and but they've made that decision to free range. And so that's another thing I do in my workshop is like, look, if you free range your flock, again, you got to go into that right manset, mindset. You're probably going to lose a few to some predators if you choose to yeah. free range your flock. And and I'm like, you know, and I tell them it's an exaggeration, but like, if you want to free range a hundred chickens, go ahead and purchase two hundred because you'll eventually have about a hundred after all the predators get done. And that's, again, that's a stretch, but it's still you have, you know, they have to go into it. You're going to you lose some. Kudos if you choose to free range. That's what you want to do. Go for it. But know ahead of time, you know, I'm I'm prepared. I'm going to have some extra birds. I'm going to have some some predator attacks when I do that. Yeah, I, I you're reminding me of a story where I heard a, a free range farmer was talking to to a reporter, and uh, the first year he had his birds on pasture, he he lost you know handful of birds to some raptors, and he kind of just viewed it as nature's tax. And when he mm-hmm, would go mm-hmm. to farmers markets and things like that, he would tell people. You know, like really, the fittest are the ones that you're that you're eating. You're eating the healthiest birds. Those are the ones that are this is kind of the way he perceived it. And I'm thinking oh, that's an interesting way. It's a positive spin on that. And then the next year, the raptors came back and picked off a few more. They came with more of their mm-hmm. friends. Yeah. Um, and then there was one year where it's like, wow, this is getting this is affecting my business now. And birds are mm-hmm. very smart. They've got amazing vision. They're incredible athletes. So um, it is something to kind of it's it's no it's no laughing matter, especially for the commercial mm-hmm. producers. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, all the things that we're going to talk about, they, they all have, you know, that nothing's perfect. So it, it, it really comes yeah. down to yeah. uh, best practices and, and crossing your fingers a little. And, and that's, that's life with everything, right? You, we do the best we can, and then we cross our mm-hmm. fingers and, and see where that gets us. Um, you know, the first thing I, I want to talk about as far as defense, are, uh, the two things I want to talk about are probably the least interesting, sexy aspects of this. And, and um, you know, the first one is, and we always talk about this, is having, uh, getting rid of any feed that is on the ground. So, so birds are messy eaters. Uh, crumble versus pelletized feed has a tendency to spill out of feeders. And now, now you're just giving one more incentive uh, for any predator um, to try to get into, um, and try to get into your coop. So, try as best as possible to, to make sure that the feed is not spilled on the ground because you're, it's just another magnet um, that you're adding to the equation. So a little extra work, not fun to do. Pelletized feed helps a little with that because the pelletized mm-hmm. feed doesn't spill as easily as the, as the crumbled feed uh, or the mash, but um, you know, definitely something pelletized feed is a little more expensive too. Um, but when you do add you know, kitchen scraps and things like that, um, just make sure at night, especially, those things are, are not in there so you're not attracting extra birds. And mice and rats will get in there, too, and, and rats can be um, aggressive. I, I always joke with people, if mice especially, if they would just agree to come in and eat a little feed and not poop where the, where the feeders and waters are, I would be willing to make that deal with them. But unfortunately, not only they come in and they eat your food, but then, then they poop and spread disease. So, um, you know, the reality is, Predator control is also good biosecurity, um, and good biosecurity should give you some assurances against predator control. They're, they're kind of one and the same in a lot of ways, so you're, you're kind of, um, pun intended, killing two birds with one stone there. Hopefully not killing mm-hmm. your birds in that scenario, obviously. <laughs> right. um, so the other thing I wanted to mention, too, was fencing. So um, fencing, again, not always the most interesting topic, but but really, really important, and um you know, a couple kind of tidbits. The, the fencing material that I like the best is hardware cloth. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know why they call it hardware cloth. It's not cloth, um, but it's, <laughs> it's um, kind of this uh, steely um, wire. It's very thick. I, I don't know the gauge of it. Um, and, and it comes in different uh, sizes. And when I said a size, that's the space in the, in the hole there. So a quarter inch, half inch are the two most common sizes I've seen. I prefer the quarter inch. Um, you, you'd be surprised um, how mice especially can really weasel their way um, through that, that half-inch wire and, and, and start eating feed and stuff like that. Um, the quarter-inch, you know, has a very small gap. So the only disadvantage of the quarter-inch is um, if you're using it on a raised coop, um, hoping that the, the, the chicken poop falls um, through that quarter-inch a wire onto the grass that that does happen, but it, it does have a tendency to cake on more on the wire. So that's one disadvantage of, of the quarter inch. But to me, you know, if you were going to have raised coops and you wanted a, a floor or a, um, a, and a floor that, that had um, the ability to allow the poop to go past the floor onto the grass, um, that would be something to consider. A um, couple things about hardware cloth. Um, so anyone that's ever worked with hardware cloth, it, it will, you, you will not escape um, without getting scratched. It is a, um, it, it's got, you know, some sharpness to it. And when you take wire cutters and you cut the hardware cloth, it will cut you up. So I unfortunately have all mm-hmm. kinds of students with all kinds of, uh, all kinds of uh, battle scars on their arms and legs from, from dealing with hardware cloth. You, you can try to file down those edges. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, really work so great but but you can try to do that people have tried i know in our lab people have tried to put like duct tape on it the only problem is that if you do that on the sharp edges that the chickens have a tendency to try to pick at the duct tape um the other thing is when you have two seams that you need to kind of bring together um with hardware cloth um because you're, you're putting it on your frame of your chicken coop in order to kind of create that um that nice um, protective uh, fence um that that hardware cost so if you want to attach two seams you can just get a bunch of uh, zip ties um kind of man's best friend i love zip ties so um just make sure you're not lazy about it and and you know don't put two zip ties on i I would put a zip tie you know at least every four inches or so Uh, i've seen it where sometimes people put the zip ties on you're like well that, that that looks like it's attached to each other but you know, you got to think now like a predator or a mouse, and you're like, yep, that could totally easy, easily climb in and get into that gap. Same thing with the birds. On the other end, you really don't want lots of gaps um, where those two pieces of hardware cloth, hardware cloth are, are kind of overlapping because, you know, birds are, are, are many things, but they're not always – our chickens are not always the smaller, smartest animals. They're very curious, and they can get into those gaps, cut themselves up, and, and cause all kinds of problems. So – Putting those zip ties, um, you know, every every four inches or so um, is going to be, you know, a little extra work. I, I get it. Um, we all we all want to do less work, but it'll save you time um, in the long run. It'll protect your birds from on the inside and on the outside, from the outside from predators, on the inside from themselves, because they can sometimes get caught in those in those in those kind of um, in those gaps there. So. Um, you know, hardware cloth is a really good material, and I, I highly recommend working with it. Um, you can use, you know, people will use other materials. They'll build their frames uh, out of wood. I have no issues with that. The only issue I have with wood in general is um, make sure you, you use, like, a latex-based paint um, because um, you're going to want to be able to clean that surface. Um, and if you can't use um, water on that surface, or if you do use water on that surface and it just soaks in, now you've just created like this perfect environment for bacteria uh, and other um, pathogens to kind of persist and, and even grow. Um, so um, just be aware of that as you're, as you're kind of thinking through fencing. Now, that's like the first level of fencing. Um, so typically you want multiple levels of fencing and um, a lot of it depends on your backyard or your environment, uh, if that's the viability of that. The one thing I will say with fencing that, that you know, it, it seems obvious, but I didn't really appreciate it until I had someone kind of tell me it. Um, so I was, I was working with the uh, Wildlife Services. So that's a branch of the USDA um, that works on basically predator control. If you live in a city or a town or whatever it be, and there's, there's some coyotes or, 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 or something like that, 
wildlife services are the folks that actually come out and deal with that in all kinds of ways. They, they can, you know, kill those animals if it's deemed a risk or, or whatever it be, um, or they can, you know, try to move them off the land and move them to more appropriate habitat. Um, but one thing they, they mentioned to me, I, I was walking a fence line on our university coop, and they made a very subtle point to me that, that, that just seems obvious in hindsight. But they said, you know, predators are smart. Um, if you have 100 uh, feet of fence around your coop and literally one uh, fence post is, is out of the ground, it's not like they're going to be like, oh, shucks, you know, the other 99 fence posts are there. Um, they're going to be like, yippee, I can get in now. So <laughs> seems obvious, but, I, you know, I just wanted to appreciate that. So it's really my point is, Walk around your property, uh, no matter how small or big it is, periodically, and make sure the fencing is the way the fencing is supposed to be. Make sure that um, the fence line is the way it's supposed to be where it meets the ground, um, because um, you will see evidence of predators probing that fence. You'll see holes and things like that. And, you know, once you start seeing those things, they're, they're, you know, predators are starting to probe those spaces, and eventually they'll be able to get in. So at a fence line, whether it's part of the coop or whether it's the actual fence that's, that's around your property, um, you know, just make sure, double check that, um, that, that there's adequate fencing there. As part of the coop, my general recommendation with fencing, in a perfect world, um, you want the fence to be buried a good five, six inches under the ground. Um, and then at the, at the, at the dirt uh, fence interface, um, you want a good six inches of gravel in depth and in width. Now, does everyone do that? I can think of one uh, kind of backyard type person that I know of that's very fastidious that does that. Uh, everyone else doesn't do that, but they do some iteration of that, right? So they might bury their fence line, but they have really hard dirt and they have no evidence of, of, of rodent activity and they just use some heavy rocks at that, at that interface. Uh, some people might put gravel um, you know, three inches by three inches because the dirt, you know, just doesn't lend itself to that or it's just too much, you know, work or, or whatever it be. But some iteration of that is, is kind of what you want to aim for. Just by personality, um, you know, my, 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 my life vision, in addition to my poultry vision, is don't make perfect the enemy of good. You know, if Dr. Pateski says six inches and you can only do five inches, you know, it, disaster is not likely going to happen, right? And it's not like when disaster does happen, it's not like I'm going to be like, yep, it should have been six inches, right? That's just, that way it probably would have been the same result regardless. But you get the idea of what you're ultimately aiming for. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that the, you know, the wildlife services folks told me, which I think we kind of touched on a little, is just think like a predator, right? It's a little hard to do, um, but, but think like a predator. And, and on that light, the one thing I would mention to you is that um, there's all different types of predators, right? Coyotes and bobcats and Dogs and birds of prey, uh, raptors, skunks, uh, snakes, all, all those type of things. So some people want to know what they're, what they're up against, um, and that's completely appropriate. That's a really good strategy. So one of the things you could do is you can get like a, 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 a motion-activated camera, like a GoPro, um, and then you can, uh, you know, torture your kids or, or yourself during the day and just kind of see, you know, there are some nice GoPros now, I believe that they only start recording when um, they're activated by, by motion. So, you know, it's not a lot of video to go through and, and it might be just kind of an interesting thing to kind of know what you're up against um, because the only other way to know what you're up against is in hindsight. So uh, there's all kinds of cheat sheets and, and, you know, you talk to wildlife uh, folks, they'll say, well, if you've got bites all over, it was probably a dog. Uh, if you have wounds on the, on the breast and the leg, that might be an opossum. Bites on the hawks um, might be rats. Um, so all those things might give you evidence. You prefer not to find out that you have raccoons or weasels or cats or snakes or whatever. In hindsight, you would prefer um, you would prefer to know that uh, sooner than later. Um, so, so the GoPro cameras are, are not horribly expensive, and, and it's kind of an interesting kind of science project is to see what kind of wildlife comes out um, at night. Might be a little, might be a little ed, uh, educational, a little scary all at the same time. I, I have a, a, we have a lot of raccoons in our neighborhood, so I'm terrified of our. When I walk my dog late at night, I'm always terrified of the gutters in our neighborhoods because I know I've seen them. 
they, they scurry back into those gutters, and I'm always afraid that there's going to be a raccoon that jumps out at my dog just because she stuck her nose where, where it didn't belong and scared one of them. Um, so just a, just, a, just a kind of thought on, on that issue. Um, so, oh, sorry, you saying something? No, 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 I was agreeing. Go ahead. Um, so the, the, the other kind of main thing I wanted to kind of chat about was, you know, the deterrence. So when you go online, uh, there's a lot of companies selling a lot of different kind of widgets. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for, for widgets. Um, but I also, you know, kind of want to be, you know, I hopefully don't want to be um, purchasing things that, that I don't need and, and that don't ultimately work. So anytime you see any kind of advertisement of like, well, this eliminates predators 100% of the time, um, you know, if it's too good to be true, it, it's probably not true, as, as we all have found out through life. So a lot of the, you know, sensors or, or things that, you know, use um, all kinds of different acoustic um, sounds, do they work? Eh, maybe, maybe not. I, I haven't really seen a lot of scientific literature on them. Um, but, but, you know, now you go back to the basics of, of fencing. Um, but there are a few things that can help a little. Um, you know, the, the, the one kind of non-appealing one I want to talk about that's not technology before we jump into some of the technology is arborage. So, um, you know, if you've got your flock, um, it's important to realize that like mice and rats, for example, um, that their nesting locations are typically anywhere from 30 to 50 feet away from kind of where they're going to go for, for, for feeding opportunities. Um, so in a perfect world, 30 to 50 feet, a 30 to 50 foot circumference and maybe a little over that if I'm remembering my numbers correctly, but that, that circumference is in a perfect world. You wouldn't have arborage where mice and rats can, can, can nest um, and kind of use the, the, um, the coop then as their um, kind of uh, grocery store. So that's not always possible. If your backyard is, is next to someone else's backyard and they've got a lot of bushes growing, there's not much you can do about that. But, but for some of us, we can do some things there. And it's just something to be aware of when you're thinking like, okay, there's some rat poop here. Where are those rats probably coming from? And you might see some bushes and, you know, behind your house or, or, or whatever it be. Or you might see some bushes on your own property, and that hopefully, you know, w- would give you an opportunity then to either move the coop or, or, or address um, you know, kind of clip the bushes in such a way that you're reducing um, that arborage. I, I like trees and bushes, especially like in the climate where we are in California, we need shade because our summers are brutally hot here. So it's, you know, it, there is a middle ground there, I, I, I think. Um, and, and it's important to kind of consider that as far as like, well, what are, what am I getting from, from these trees during the, the hot periods of the year? And, and how can I, um, how can I prune them in such a way that, that, that they're not also arborage? So, for example, roof rats. Um, roof rats can jump, you know, three to four feet. So if you are pruning your tree, you want to make sure that those branches are, are more than three or four feet away from your coop so you're not giving them a nice little um, basically runway, if you will, to get on to, um, into the coop. The other thing I wanted to mention um, was that, um, you know, there, there, so there's, there's a lot of things that you'll see out there. Um, so, uh, dummy coyote cutouts we've seen. So, um, they, they look, you know, you'll, you'll see them. It's, it's like, um, uh, I don't a cardboard, um, photograph of a, of a, of a life-size coyote. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you, I'll look at them. And if I'm not paying attention out of the corner of your eye, it looks like you have a coyote there. Um, you have to remember these are decoys and um, predators are smart. So if you just keep that in the same spot, um, predators will figure that out, right? They're, they're, they'll, 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 they'll figure out that out. The other thing is I, I was, when we were talking about that story about that uh, farmer who has some uh, um, pastured land and he was losing his birds to predators, he was kind of trying to come up with all these different ways. And he was driving down the, the highway one day, and he saw one of those um, near, near, a, near a car dealership. He saw one of those kind of um, blow-up kind of kitey-type things that, that <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, wiggle in the wind. And he's like, huh, let me try that. And he tried it, and it worked awesome for like a day or two. And then at some point, the birds are like, yeah, that's, that's not going to cause any problems. So. I don't know if he wasn't moving it or whatever it be, but stuff in the wind seems to have a little success. So like reflective tape, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people will take reflective tape. Especially in California, we'll see a lot of reflective tape on our, on our um, uh, grapevine in orchards. 
um, and they'll just blow in the wind a little. And, and it, it, you know, the farmers seem to have a reason for putting it up there. It costs money. So um, that, that could work. Um, it could be a little noisy too. So that kind of shiny kind of, um, um, I don't know what kind of, uh, almost like aluminum-y type of sound that you get when that stuff blows in the wind could, could help a little. Um, but again, you know, you know, limited success there. Um, there's some, you know, it's interesting. Um, there was one commercial producer I was doing some work with a couple of years ago, and they were afraid of some avian influenza issues. And they were close to a pond um, that uh, had some waterfowl that were uh, roosting um, on, on, on that pond area. Um, and, and they actually paid someone to go out there with a, um, um, one of the, the guns that kind of produces a bunch of noise. Um, I can't remember the name of them off the top of my head, but anyway, so that actually works pretty well. Um, but they had to pay someone basically to be there all day long. And, and I think when I was talking to a wildlife biologist about that, he said, yeah, I believe that would work. The only thing that he did mention to me is that, uh, if there's no habitat, they will come back. So if, if there's, hopefully they'll go, you know, to someone else's house or, or someone else's, you know, or to some habitat that's, that's not in such a critical area. Um, I did talk to one other producer, just, just as a kind of interesting thing, when, if you have access to, to water or a pool or whatever it be. And this guy a, was an old-timer, and he's tried everything. And uh, he was kind of curmudgeon And right before he retired, someone had tried, um, and this is a very large commercial producer, and they, they you know, had some food security, they had some biosecurity issues. So someone had tried right before he retired, um, you know, the, um, the noodles, the swim noodles? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they had on, on one of these ponds, one of the workers on the, in the barns had taken um, like 20 of those noodles and attached them to each other. And, and, and they kind of wiggled around in the actual pond that was next to the, um, uh, okay. to the grow out farms. And he said that worked amazing. He said he could not believe how effective that was. He thinks from the air, it almost looked like a giant snake. Um, so that was effective at, at repelling um, um, raptors. And, and just the raptors, like, literally just left. Now, that was for a few weeks. I don't know what happened after that. But I, I thought that was a really interesting and, and, and amusing story. Um, so those are, those are kind of the, the main ways that, you know, at the end of the day, that the biggest bang for your buck is going to be keeping food down to a minimum, feed, feed spillage down to a minimum, good fencing um, and being fastidious about your fencing, you know, not just putting the fencing up and, and, and going away um, and, 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 and uh, reducing potential for habitat. And if you can do those three things, and all the other things, you know, that, that people love to kind of, you know, kind of think about, uh, the, 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 the dummy predator birds or the scarecrows and, and, and reflective tape and coyote cutouts, the chemical and pheromone repellents, which I don't know as much about, but I'm, I'm a little, like to me, those seem a little, um, you know, kind of gimmicky, I guess. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm offending someone that, 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 that swears by them, but they just seem a little gimmicky to me. Um, but all those things to me are like the gravy that you'd add on. But, but if you haven't done the first principles first, um, removing the feed, uh, having the fencing, and, and walking that fencing and ensuring its integrity. And the last thing I'll mention is that people, you know, a lot of people compost. Um, make sure your compost pile, if you can, is, is far away from your bird. Make sure that compost pile, if you have a composter, you know, one of the ones that you um, it, it, it's in pl- encased in plastic and, it, and it, you have to kind of um, uh, turn the pile uh, with like a little crank. Uh, make sure that's elevated off the ground um, because the last thing you want to do is put all that. I've seen this in, in the past where people put all that in the same corner next to the chickens because that's where the poop goes. That's where the, the, the old litter goes and that's where all the bad smells go and, and they, they kind of put that all off in the corner and I totally get that logic but that's um, then the predators know exactly where to go for, for all their, their, um, their, their feed um, um, and kind of exploratory needs. So um, those are kind of the, the, the basics, Andy. Yeah, that's all of that is awesome information. And truly, I had produced um, predator urine. And they, they wanted me they want they were interested in a sponsorship and to have a commercial plate on the podcast and blah 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 and all that. 
And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would have been happy to take their money and say, sure, I'll tell everybody about your product. And I declined. We, we had a nice conversation. It was respectable. But I'm like, um, I, I just have a hard time promoting this product instead of promoting, you know, doing the research and spending the money to make your people would not. And, and he and this was the eye opener. I said, you know, people would not need your product whatsoever if they would do the research and follow that up with spending the necessary money to implement the research to keep their proofs and runs predator proof. And the only thing he could say to that was, you're correct, but they don't. And that's why they <laughs> buy my product. So, you know, and, and, and so yeah. that, that was, I mean, I was, I really appreciated his honesty. He said, you're 100% correct, Mr. Chicken Whisperer, but guess what? They don't. So why they don't do that, yeah. you know, so all these things we discussed, little flashing lights, which I can tell you from firsthand um, use. When we lived at our homestead down in South Georgia, we had a garden that was about, I mean, it was probably close to an acre, just our garden, let's say somewhere between three quarters to an acre large. And when I was putting it in, we hadn't been, in, you know, moved in too long, maybe for, you know, as our first garden and people were like, deer are going to eat you out of house and home, or what are you going to do about the deer? Da, 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 da. And I said, Hey, I got a plan. I got a plan. And I put, I think I totaled, it was 13 of those flashing little red lights. Um, and there were a couple of companies that made them now. I think one's no longer around. That company made the other companies, and then they got in a fight. So they said, well, we'll make our own. That's another another story. But um, we about I – don't, I don't even remember what the measuring was, but I put 13 of those. I, I got PVC pipe, like one-inch round PVC pipe, and I painted it green, and I screwed these little lights at the top, and I stuck them in the ground all the way around my one-acre garden. And I, I can tell you that we had – amazing success um, keeping the deer out of our garden. I mean, my, my neighbor had a garden just across the creek. You could see it, and they would eat all of his stuff. They wouldn't come up to mine. Um, and so they were they were just amazed. It's like, I just cannot believe the deer aren't, you know, eating up your garden. And so they'd come on at night, solar. And so I can say, now, as far as predators concerned, um, I, you know, I used them one time around a, a residential area coop and run, and they didn't seem – I still had in that situation a uh, weasel come in or a fisher cat come in even with those. And, you know, the idea with those is it has to be at eye level. So if you're trying to deter, you know, uh, whatever it is, a deer, you know, I had these placed basically at eye level on a deer for my garden. But if I wanted to do raccoons or fox, I'd have to have – so many more at the eye level of the fox. But so for deer, I'm a firm believer because I saw it firsthand for a couple of three years of those keeping deer out of the garden. As far as keeping predators away from my coop, I don't know. But long story, again, I, I refuse to take his money um, because I, I was like, I would rather, instead of buying your product and buying these flashing lights and buying all these, these fake things and buying this and buying that, by the time they're done buying all this stuff, they could have bought more expensive fencing or rented that ditch which to bury it or buy that gravel that you talked about putting it around the base of the fence or, you know, um, you either spend now or you spend later. We know we've, we're talking all these cliches we talk about, uh, you pay now or pay later. And um, and so I was I uh, just didn't do his predator pee um, because I thought that I was like, I just, I just can't with a good conscience <laughs> promote that when I'd rather say, hey, instead of buying this. Spend the money on your fencing. Spend the money on your coop. Spend the money on this so you don't have to buy all these other, like you said, possible you know, gimmick stuff um, uh, that you're going to spend your money on. So you know, I completely agree uh, with everything that you had talked about. And um, I pulled up a couple of stories while you were talking because it happened in Georgia, and uh, um, I believe it was Bluffington, Georgia, down kind of towards the coast where they had that free-range rancher uh, that free-ranged his <laughs> – um, birds, and uh, yeah, I, there, I found a couple of um, articles. One, a more recent one, um, said that he had lost 160,000 chickens uh, to, oh these, uh, to these to um, these bald eagles. And then I found a little mm -hmm. bit more article that said um, he has 60. At any given time, he has 60,000 birds wandering the land in his pasture raised uh, parameters. Uh, with his with his free range birds, and he said the first year. Let me see if I can find these numbers. He said the first year, um, he first couple of years he didn't have any of these, and then, let's see, it, he was losing a total of a thousand dollars in daily losses. 
a thousand dollars a day he was losing to these bald eagles um, and his uh, free range chickens. And let me see what the number was because it said how they basically doubled each year. You started with none, and then I think there were 15 bald eagles, and it went to 30, and then it went to 60, and then it went, you know, so he, um, and then it talks about how he tried to get indemnity uh, money from USDA, you know, like if you lose your crops to, I guess, whatever, a drought or something, he tried to do that, but there's a whole articles if you just look about that, because um, I remember posting about this on my Facebook being a little bit of a smart aleck, I guess. Maybe people know me, and I'll, I'll poke fun or you know, you know, call people out on things like they should me as well. But um, you know, because at the time it was big, everybody was always so anti-factory farming. Oh, that's so bad for the bird. That's inhumane. <laughs> and then this story comes out where this guy's losing. You know, he's lost 160,000 free-range chickens due to these um, um, bald eagles. And I was like, well. Gee, uh, pick pick your poison, okay? Now, how, how humane is it to lose 160,000 of your birds to bald eagles, versus you know you're, you're complaining about factory farming and you say, oh, we should do we should do free range farming and we should do you know pasture raised and all this, but you know is that are you do you consider that cruel? You know, here, I'm going to do pasture raised chickens and guess what? I'm losing a thousand chickens a day to these bald eagles, or whatever the you know whatever the number was. And uh, but that's okay because that's all natural. That that's that's humane treatment. You know, so I, when I posted that about the big the farm down in South Georgia losing all these birds to predators, I was like, I guess that's okay because that's natural. Um, it's not inhumane. You know, so my 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 twist on that or my spin was a little bit different. But um, but yeah, for me, just being so into this every single day and and, and get, getting these updates, it's frustrating to see how many people are losing to predators when they really don't have to. So thanks for coming on today and, and sharing all of that knowledge. And I'll be sharing this again on Saturday when we cover predators in our workshop there at the uh, uh, Fort Payne Feed and Seed in Alabama. And uh, I may implement some of your information with that as well because we got to learn every single day uh, and learn new things and new new uh, tips uh, to share with folks about how they – yeah, I mean, it's it, like you said, we, we did a little bit of laughing, but it's, it's when, when someone posts, I just lost my entire flock to predators. Anybody have any they want to sell me? <laughs> I'm like, uh, that would be a big no. Um not until you prove to me. Not, yeah, no, I don't want my chickens to have the same outcome. Uh, share how you fix the problem, and then we'll. So, uh, but you see that a lot as well. So, hey, thanks so much, Doc, for coming on, and we'll look forward to seeing you uh, in May already, May of 2021, second Thursday of every month. You come on, and we do appreciate it, and we will talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having Great. me again. Have a good month. You, you, thank you. You too. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, yeah, between me and Dr. Pateski telling it like it is, we probably made some folks mad. But, it, I mean, my email is open. If you want to email me something, cw at com. if you can tell me, because it's not my first rodeo. We've been doing this 12 years, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you lose your favorite chicken to a predator, if you want to know who to blame, look in the mirror. And number two, why has it happened so much? Number one, you didn't do the research. Number two, you ch- are, are, you did the research, but you chose not to spend the money to, and necessary to implement that research to make your coop and run predator proof. Um, and yeah, I get it. Accidents happen. Oops, we had an oopsie. I thought I did everything correct, but oops, you know, we may have overlooked this or oops, I didn't see that happening. So we fixed that problem and now we're okay. But if that was the case, if that was happening, if people were doing the research and spending the money necessary to have a predator coop and run, um, then we would not be seeing these daily, 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 multiple times every day. I lost this. I lost that. I lost my flock. I lost my favorite bird. I'm so sad I did this. And then the other thing is very interesting is that, and this kind of goes with predators, is that it works both ways, folks. Oftentimes we see people post on on, on one of these uh, Facebook chicken groups, I'm so angry with my neighbors. They let their dogs out to free range. They come right over into my yard and, you know, they, they're, they're agitating my chickens or they killed my flock or whatever. But every now and then, every now and then you'll see um, 
I'm so mad. My my neighbors doesn't like my chickens in their yard, and I'm 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 doing this to free range, and they get mad, or they they threaten to shoot my chickens because my chickens are in their yard, and then but you, you know what I've, I've noticed over the years, and it's changed over the years. Back 12 years ago, but now people are like, hey, it works both ways. As a responsible pet owner, you keep your chickens in your yard. As a responsible pet owner, they should keep their dogs in their yard. Um, just because they're a chicken and you want a free range and that's your ideal of keeping chickens and they go next door and dig up their beautiful flower beds they just spent all Saturday working on, um, then that, that's as equal as a no-no as your neighbor letting their dogs out and coming over to your property and killing your chickens or agitating them as they uh, walk back and forth to coop and, and the run. So as a responsible chicken owner, pet owner, dog owner, whatever, uh, keep your pets in your own yard. It'll solve a lot of problems. Um, and some people think they can get away with it on a chicken forum complaining about a neighbor, complaining about their chickens in their neighbor's yard. But a lot of people step up and say, uh, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So pretty interesting. Hey, I'll be back in just a couple seconds. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance-free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardBirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardBirdChickenPluckers.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. You know, I'll listen to the Metzer commercial speaking about ducks. We've had ducks before, and uh, because of that, we choose not to have ducks. Um, but uh, a lot of people have success with ducks for whatever reason. And uh, I've talked to John Metzer over at Metzer a bunch of times over the years, and he's done some articles in Chicken Whisperer Magazine, which all of you should subscribe to. It's absolutely free, chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Hit the subscribe to the digital edition. It is free. If you want it mailed to your door, that's fine, too. It's $9.95. Um, and uh, people just have a feeling that they, they think that because they ha are raising ducks, those ducks have to have access to a kiddie pool or a pond or water every single hour of every single day. And that is just not the case. That's what makes it so messy. Uh, but I'm telling you, if you if you kind of free range your ducks or let them out of a particular run or whatever, um, and it's raining or it has rained, um, you can kiss your yard goodbye. Because those bills, they uh, just it's it's a mess, and there's flat feet. And it, so um, yeah, we we've been down the duck road several times. We we've given it uh, several chances to become a per permanent uh, fixture in our homesteads. We've lived that over over the years, but 
Yeah, not happening. So uh, this just came across. I thought I'd share this with you before we go. And uh, you, uh, many of you all know my son. He's nine. He's taking flying lessons. He just took his uh, 22nd flying lesson, or maybe it was his 23rd flying lesson a couple of days ago. Um, but so, you know, you, you, you hit some of those um, uh, searches, and all of a sudden these, these memes come up. But here's one. There's four separate pictures, but I'm just going to read you. <laughs> It's going to read you what it says. Uh, four pictures uh, of, of a couple talking, basically. So why did you become a pilot come my biggest fear? Oh, really? Heights? No. Dying alone. Sheesh. <laughs> Some of these folks. Um, hey, I hope to see you this Saturday at Fort Payne uh, Feed and Seed in Fort Payne, Alabama, 10 a.m. to noon, 10 a.m. to noon, and uh, I guarantee it'll be worth your time. We'll be uh, learning a lot about getting started with backyard recoups and runs and predators and nutrition and uh, with q and I'll have some books there I can autograph for you if you want to purchase. Um, we're just going to have a great time. I'm really excited to get back on the um, – on the tour circuit, even if it is just for six, uh, a, a little mini tour of six events. And um, so we are looking forward to that. And I do hope to see you um, this Saturday. And then again, tune in next week. It looks like we've got, uh, let's see, uh, poultry scientist Dr. McRae next Thursday. The Thursday after that, we have poultry nutritionist uh, Dr. Gehring that's going to be on. So uh, definitely keep in tuning in Thursdays at 2 p.m. right here on uh, Blog Talk Radio for another great episode. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Hope you learned something new. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.